Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I cannot t- uh, contain my excitement to what I'm about to bring you this week. Our special guest is none other than a living legend, uh, one of the greatest guitar players ever to do it. Uh, the master, Steve Vai, is with us this week. And what's so great about that is, you know, this is going to be part two over my first concert series. And for our great listeners out there, you guys remember the, the first episode in the series with, of course, the drummer, Greg Bissonette, because my first concert was the David Lee Roth Enum and Smile Tour way back in 1986. And, you know, David Lee Roth and Van Halen have been kind of in the news uh, this week and and a lot of, a lot of uh, information going around. We're going to get into all of that. Steve offers some great insight into... Uh, what kind of went down when the when the Edom and Smile reunion almost happened uh, in a very uh, impromptu way a couple of years ago, um, and even like um, Greg, uh, Billy, and Steve actually got together early this year in January at NAM out in California. And I was there with Doug Pinnock from Kings X, and so we get into that uh, the future of what uh, it holds. Uh, if we're ever gonna see it again, anyway, just a great, great chat. He, Steve's a great guy. Um, we had a great time talking. He's uh, for you. Um, obviously, if you're listening, you're probably potentially a good ch- chance that you're a guitar player. Um, and he offers some great insight into this new technology that he has uh, developed uh, for Synergy amps, and he really breaks that down. Uh, what's also so freaking cool here is that what I originally wanted to do for um, the episode with Greg Bissonette was I wanted to, f- to find and, and talk and have the guy who actually took me to my first concert, which was uh, one of my, uh, my sister's first boyfriends, and he was a, um, kind of a member of the family uh, while I was growing up, a guy named Grant Marsh is joining us he took me to that first show and man uh and we recorded his portion like way 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 uh months ago so it took me a while i've been working on this film uh i got married back in june we're new parents and so uh it took me a while for me and steve to uh to be able to sit down and and talk because I didn't want I I didn't want to do it without it you know what I mean and we'd already done Greg and I was like man when I get Steve uh we'll do it and Steve and I had a had a great chat back in January because obviously he was again performing at NAMM and we were there um you know Doug was also was performing so anyway so it's so full circle here we are 33 years later and uh that that fateful night that set me on the path to that uh, what I'm still doing, uh, just being a part of, of the, you know, rock and roll and the music industry and in and, and, and some sort of capacity, but uh, was so grateful that uh, the grant was available and that Steve was available uh, to bring this to you. So uh, great, great, great show this week. I want to thank everybody that's been kind of uh, been downloading and all of our loyal, loyal subscribers and, of course, to our great sponsors, which we'll be listening here in just a little bit. I wanted to mention one thing was that uh, one thing that's been very, very popular was our 1980, All Things 1989 series. And, of course, we just had, of course, Tiffany on uh, playing some great, 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 great new music. And, and I had to kind of cap this series at four. We did. <laughs> I was only going to do like one or two. And. 
we ended up doing four. And you know what? I and since then I could probably could put together a fifth one. 1989 was nuts. And so instead of doing that, I'm just. But I, I, I do want to share a couple little fun things. We were just uh, at Iron Maiden um, a week or so back. I want to give a shout out to Michael Kenny for having us and. Uh, so great to see Iron Maiden. And one thing I was reminded of that I wish I had in, had included, this is kind of like the, you know, the the lost uh, little fun facts uh, that should have made the other episodes, which was that uh, Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden uh, put together a band in 1989 called ASAP. And they had one album that came out that year uh, called Silver and Gold. And if I had thought about that, I probably would have included that uh, on our Spotify playlist, which I have since I've, I've updated it. So if you haven't checked it out already, go to our Tricky Kid Spotify page. Go to the All Things 1989 playlist. It is You'll have a great time checking it out. Uh, we have so much fun with it. Um, and another addition was something completely different uh, than Iron Maiden is that the, the um, one thing I'd forgotten about was that um, Robert Earl Keane, who, uh, you know, I like country music, but I'm, I'm somebody who grew up with country music because of my dad. But it was more of the, you know, kind of the more respected kind of outlaw country like, you know, Willie Nelson and obviously Waylon Jennings and uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, the kind of the storyteller. And the, the last bastion of that that I can remember, truly, I'm not dissing anybody. I'm sure there's been plenty since then. I just, the last one I'm saying that was like kind of on my radar or kind of on my radar again. Because I kind of tuned out of that as I was getting older around like, you know, 85, 86. But in 89, uh, Robert Earl King came out um, with an album called West Textures, and he has, a, he has his most popular song that's a staple at his all of his concerts, uh, which is called uh, The Road Goes On Forever. And, of course, the, su- the, the, the subtext of that is, and the party never ends. And it's, it's a, one of those great country music songs that tells a great story, a tragic story, but still it, it captivates you. And it's always punctuated each verse with, the road goes on forever and the party never ends. And so I've, that always that always stuck with me and always gives me a message of hope. And I always, uh, it's almost like a catchphrase that I say and, and uh, to people. I say, well, you know, the road goes on forever and, you know, and the party never ends. So, and we hope the party doesn't ever end for you because it's not going to end for us here. A couple little more fun facts I wanted to share about 1989 before we get Grant on here uh, is... We were doing uh, births, and somehow I think I managed to leave out my girl Lucy Hell, my favorite pretty little liar, and wanted to mention, uh, wish her a happy 30th birthday, and uh, mentioned that she is actually, uh, has a new series as part of a Riverdale spinoff from the Archie character Katie Keene, and that's going to be coming your way uh, of April of next year. Also, uh, we attended the final game at Globe Life Park here in Arlington, Texas, where I'm actually out in in Dallas a few miles away. But still, uh, something very, 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 very special happened was that uh, obviously people who know me and are fans of this show know that I'm a massive baseball fan. And one of the parts of the All Things 1989 was totally dedicated to sports, especially baseball, and easily the wackiest year uh, of, of the modern era is, is got to be 1989. Um, 
And one thing that was so cool is that, you know, I was there on opening day. I'm even old enough to remember I was at the final game at the original Arlington Stadium uh, when it shut down in, in 1993. Um, but I was on opening day right after my 20th birthday in 1994 at Globe Life Park. And Will Clark had just uh, came over from the Giants, and he was uh, starting at first base for the Rangers. And here we are 25 years later, and I'm there for the final game in that ballpark uh, as a proud father, uh, which was you know, the greatest thing in the world for me. And I've seen a lot of great stuff in that ballpark. I was there for both pennant wins, Adrian Beltre's 3,000th hit, uh, God, countless others. Uh, but something very special happened as part of the celebration was uh, that uh, they had, uh, who else could they have do it? But they had Nolan Ryan come out and throw the first pitch. And uh, for me, I was kind of lament, like, oh, you know, my, my son never got to see Nolan Ryan play. And I, and I did, thankfully I did. And even though it was just one pitch and, and kind of in a ceremonious, uh, you know, opening, you know, first pitch kind of way, uh, the fact that uh, Miles saw Nolan with a ball in his hand, uh, that marks my favorite moment uh, in all of 25 years and maybe one of the greatest moments of my life. So uh, lots of love to the Ranger organization. Looking forward to getting into that new ballpark uh, next year, which is called Globe Life Field. And wanted to thank you guys for 25 years uh, of pure magic. And here's the 25 more. And I, I, I tied that into the fact is that right after the game, I went over to see my mom and to, to kind of tell her about the uh, the experience and let her you know visit with Miles. And while I was there, I dug out uh, whenever you collect baseball cards. Again, you really check out our 1989 episode. We even have Stu, Stu Stone, who has this great documentary called Jack of All Trades Out about the baseball card boom and life and love and history and the whole bit. And uh, th this week... Uh, Nolan Ryan uh, was on the cover of Beckett Baseball Card Monthly, which was like the Bible, and I uh, I dug that out, and I remember how it was such a great thing to wonder, like who's going to be on the cover each each week and uh, or each month, I should say, and and when it was our, our beloved Nolan Ryan, I can remember what a great day that was, and um, sharing that with my friend Steve, who was also at the game, uh, he was had he we wasn't sitting with us, but. Uh, we were texting throughout the whole experience, so uh, so that was a great, 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 great thing for us. And speaking of baseball, again, something else to add to that wacky 1989, uh, you know, major league season uh, was that it was the only time that both batting titles uh, were decided on the final day of the season. Uh, and what happened was Kirby Puckett, my man Kirby, went two for five to beat out Carney Lansford uh, to 339 to 336 in the American League. And, of course, the unforgettable, the incomparable Tony Gwynn uh, went three for four to beat out, ironically, uh, Will Clark, who bet uh, for a 336 average to Will's 333 in the National League. And seeing Will Clark there uh, coming out uh, onto the field, they did this whole thing with the... Um, with the, the the members of or the players that have scored the highest at their position, and which pretty much almost reassembled that legendary uh, you know pennant winning team from two thousand and nine and ten, uh, except for a few who are still playing who actually were playing for other teams on the final day of the season that couldn't be there like Nelson Cruz, um, I believe who else Ian Kinsler um, and a few others but uh, but they had. Uh, obviously, you know, had, had some other great greats from the from the years. Rusty Greer, Pudge Rodriguez. It was a great celebration.
Okay, so let's get Grant Marsh on the on the phone. Uh, again, the the gentleman responsible for for this the the the, the first real generous act of my life that really touched me, uh, that brought me something that I, I still is still with me and will always be with me. Uh, that magic of that first uh, concert with my. Uh, you know, Van Halen had just broken up, and uh, and so I was finally going to get to see David Lee Roth in, in some capacity, and what a capacity it was. So let's get him on the phone. Um, want to thank our sponsors this week. Want to thank Netflix. Want to thank Coca Cola. Want to thank Stranger Things season three. Uh, check out a fun video that we did unboxing a. Um, they kind of did this little tie in with Coca Cola and the whole New Coke debacle from 1985. And we have a uh, a fun video on our on our YouTube channel, Tricky Kid TV, of us unboxing it, and my wife Jocelyn actually trying uh, new Coke for the first time ever, and me for the first time in 34 years, and uh, it could be 35 more years before I drink that garbage ever again. <laughs> Man, what a mistake that was for them to, to to have done that. But anyway, it's great, it's fun, and hey, let's get this shit popping. Here's Grant right now. Grant, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Hey, boy. Glad to be here, man. So, okay, man. So, listen. So, and I also, I want to get into to your first concert uh, as well. But what we're talking about, of course, uh, is the David Lee Roth Eat'em and Smile Tour uh, in 1986 uh, that took place uh, in September of that year. It was... Um, I believe the ninth show. It was. I'm sorry. It was in on August 27th uh, in 1986, and again, it was like the the ninth show of that tour. Uh, what do you specifically remember about that concert and the lead up to that show? Driving out to pick you up uh, to take you there to. Uh, I remember a little bit about that. But I remember the show itself. I mean, David Lee was the largest in life. Um, you know, the band was amazing. Uh, the show was uh, second to none. Um, you know, Steve I is this, uh, you know, David Ross is a, one of the best front men of all time, uh, you know, bar none. Um, I mean, just an amazing show. It's a great show. You know, great, uh, you know, stage presence Dave has. The whole, the whole band did. Uh, you know, uh, it was do you do you remember actually going to get the tickets? Um, you know, I don't remember. That. I, I, uh, I listened to your podcast um, about you know me leaving, and I don't remember all that stuff. I don't. Um, it sounds like something I would do. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember the actual, I don't remember the actual uh, you know, going and camping out to like, get the tickets and stuff. I don't remember all that stuff. Well, well, that's okay, but one thing that I'm sure you probably do remember is, especially back then, and especially, and you know, in a, you know, Little Rock was a big town for us, but of course, in the grand scheme of things, we now realize it was, of course, much smaller. Uh, one thing you might remember was back then is that tickets went on sale, like, way in advance. Of course, this is pre-internet, this is pre-all that stuff. So back then, tickets would go on sale you know, like eight, nine, sometimes ten months in advance. So by by the time the actual show came around, man, you've been looking forward to this thing, and you know, in in a in a tw- for months and months and months. 
Yeah, yeah. And so in, in a 12-year-old's life, especially anticipating his first concert, man, that that eight or nine months from the time, you know, you gave me the ticket till the actual show, holy cow. And then again, I also had a lot of, you know, personal growth. I We had moved out to Jacksonville. I'd started junior high that week, you know. So that, that space in between, but... But here's what's interesting, okay, is I know, of course, about uh, your accident, of course, and I'm sorry that it kind of robbed you a bit of your memory, but here's what's so crazy. I'm that guy, you know, Grant, that people call, you know, in the middle of the night or five years later going, hey, man, uh, you know, who broke that lamp in 1989? (laughs) Because I have that memory, you know, I I just, I have that... but for some reason, whenever we got into all this, of course, I remember like like it was yesterday. I remember you coming down the hallway. You were leaving. I was watching TV. I was asking you where you were going. You said you you guys were going to get the tickets. I just jokingly said, hey, man, grab me one. And I couldn't believe it. I, when you came in the next day and go, oh, hey, man, here's your ticket. Like that was like Christmas and like New Year's Eve, like it. It's it's crazy and as cliche as it sounds, people always go, "Yeah, man, it changed my life." And when I saw that show, I knew I had to be a part of it in some way. But you know, I'm living proof that that actually is real because you know here we are, 33 years later. But but one thing I wanted to say was was it in spite of my memory, I don't know if it because it was the excitement. Or whatever, but I there was one part of the evening that I, I draw a complete blank on, and this is what I was going to ask you. I remember us, uh, uh, you know, the drive there and how excited we were, and you and I were just, you know, broing out and listening to music, and you and I always had a really, you know, great relationship and and a, and a, and a, and a great friendship and. And um, and it was so cool that you know because because you know for those who don't know the geography, um, Jacksonville is what would you say about thirty forty miles north of Little Rock? Um, I don't know if it's that far, but it's, it's a good twenty minutes, fifteen twenty minutes. Uh, I don't know. It's it's probably fifteen ten fifteen twenty minutes out. I mean, it's, you know, I, uh, my mom and dad still live there in Little Rock, and I go see them. Um, you know, I've been DC now for a little over twenty years, twenty twenty two years, something like that. Closer than I remember because, you know, yeah. b- because back then we lived. I mean, back then it was living in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was. I had to take a. I had to take a forty minute. It was remote. Let's say that. Yeah. yeah yes. And you know, it was like a. I had to take a forty minute bus ride every morning just to go to school. So for us. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. But what we. Yeah. Like I forget. Where'd you go to junior high and high school? Well, I, I went to, to, to Northwood uh, uh, for my seventh grade, and then, and then of course, then we moved here to Texas. So I only went to, I was only there for my seventh grade uh, year, my seventh grade year. But you, know, I went from, you know, but you know, what I'm I went from walking to school with my friends in Little Rock to suddenly having to take this like road trip twice a day. Do you know what I mean? So it seemed much more remote than maybe what what I, and to to a kid, you know, things are a little bit different, but. You know, the, the thing that I, I, but I said, the part that really escaped me, though, and this is the part that I was hoping maybe you could also could fill in, 
Um, and this, and the whole goal of this is just to reconnect with you and to chat. For our listeners, I wanted you guys to know that Grant and I haven't seen each other in about 13 years. Uh, when I moved to New York City in 2006, you were in town. And we got together, and at that point, I don't think that you and I had seen each other uh, in about 20 years, which at that point, it had been about 20 years since the concert. So, do you know what I mean? So, so since, yeah, it's been a while, yeah, sure. So, that's what's even interesting, is that since that night in August of 86, this is only a handful of of times that you and I have had the chance to, you know, to chat. But, but one, one part that was interesting to me was I remember getting there and the innocence of a child. I remember Cinderella coming out and I remember like them, them cursing on stage. And remember that was kind of like a, like, like, you know, like, whoa, like, cause you can't do that on MTV. And I was like, oh man, they're going to get in trouble. You know, (laughs) you know, like the innocence of a child. But at one point, we, you and I separated at some points, and I, I remember, like, because because Nikki and her friend also went to the show, but it was my sister, but in the, but separate from us, and I remember, uh, like, you know, typical setup for a concert, you have the the floor general admission, very eighties setup with no seats on the floor, and then you had the kind of the general admission seating in the in the bowl. And I remember sitting on this railing, and and, and and Nikki sees me, and her friend, she comes over. Uh, but at some point, I made my way over to the other side of the arena. And like I said, this like mom-daughter team kind of like adopted me. And what the funny thing was, was that how in the hell, pre-cell phones in front of 10,000 people, how the hell did you and I find each other after the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but you know, but yeah. But you know, it's just funny that again because of, because of of my memory, I remember every little detail. You know, I, I remember the the shirt that I was wearing when me and your brother, you know, went and bought candy at Blanton's grocery store off of Geyer's Springs thirty five years ago. I just have that memory. But for some reason, that part I don't remember. I remember, and I guess I was so tired. I remember the car ride home a little bit because I was so buzzed. And you had also had bought me a concert shirt. And I think that we did that after the show. And I proudly wore this at school the next day, you know? Uh, yeah, everybody. Yeah, at the end of the show, you'd always get a t shirt and then you'd wear that to. That's right. That's right. But but you remember back then it was like almost like having the shirt was almost as important as going to to the show. Like you had to, you know, you had to kind of sport. Like yes, man. I everybody had on their crisp, clean. Like you know, it was like a badge of honor. You know. And, uh, but, you know, what I think about that time, and and you heard the original episode, you know, the, the thing I think about the most is 
I guess there's a time in your life where when you're younger, you're eager to lose your innocence. And then as you get older, you are eager to reclaim it. And, and so when I think about that time, I think about just that pure innocence of just, first of all, Van Halen was in, was like my entire life. I mean, you, you know, you couldn't wait for David Lee Roth to bring that circus to town. So when they broke up, I was all like, oh my God, I'm never going to see Van Halen. So for him to fire back like this and with like the greatest band that's not Van Halen with, of course, my man, Greg Bissonette, uh, the great Billy Sheen, and of course, I mean, what can more can be said about Steve I? You know. Yeah, if he was ever going to have a guitarist that you know vaguely equaled Eddie Van Halen, Steve I, I mean, he's amazing. Uh, Billy Sheen, uh, you know, is pedigree as well, obviously, in in, uh, in the world of bassist and you know, Greg Bissonette, um, he's he's on par with uh, Neil Peart. I mean, all the best, you know, drummers that have ever graced the stage. Um, I mean, he really put together an all-star team, uh, obviously. But, you know, one of the things that, 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 that struck me when I was listening to the podcast, um, and we spoke about this a few days ago, was like, the impact, the small act of kindness, you know, that can have on someone's life is like, so freaking amazing, so cool. It really struck me, like, I listened to it once, the whole podcast, and I, you know, I, I took it upstairs. I, you know, my wife and I listened to it together. Like, oh wow, that was really, really cool. And then the other thing that struck me was like, and you you mentioned that um, when I drove out to pick you up, like at the time your sister and I, we we weren't even dating at the time, but right. you know, I, I felt you know you didn't have a way to get to the concert. We you guys had moved way the heck out, you know, in Jacksonville, which you know, again looking back. It was a you know far away because you know on the bus yeah it's a forty mile it's on the bus okay so but I drove out and you know, picked you up and stuff and I felt responsible and wanted to make sure you got back safe and sound because your mom would have killed me so, that's right know, that's right <laughs> and uh and you know just one of those things but so you know two things why the kindness the impact they can have on someone's life and you said in the podcast like you know change your life that was like amazing like it really struck me like wow it's really cool and then like you know do what you say you're gonna do I've told you I was gonna you know, pick you up and stuff so I you know, drove out you know, picked you up and stuff and I made sure you, you know, got you back safe and everything like that just those kind of you know a lot of folks just kind of take things for granted a lot of well, you know, and that's something that's so special to me too. And that's what I'm saying is, it's so great for me to be able to express my gratitude to you for that. All these years later, I like to think that I did at the time, and obviously, I like to think that you knew what it meant to me then. But I wasn't sure that you knew how much it meant to me, you know, later, or what it still means to me, you know. And so, for you, and again, and that's what I was trying to get across in the original episode was that. Y'all, what y'all need to realize is that all this time had gone by, we had moved, you and my sister had broken up, and you still came and got me. You still took me to the show. You still bought me the the, the, the T-shirt. Now, I wish I could say I still have the shirt, but I told you a couple days ago, I still have a, it's not a trapper keeper, but if you remember the folders 
back then where you the, this little kind of like colored folders that had the little braids in it and you'd put your papers in and you know this was just designed for young you know junior high high school kids to kind of express themselves on and they would you know draw graffiti whatever and you had um and i'm going to put a picture of it up on my, on my website so people can see what we're talking about here is um and so you can see it as well uh, it's it's you had drawn you wrote uh, rat and roll and scorps rule which of course you're referring to as the scorpions of course so uh, and I remember you being you know obviously a total rocker and you obviously you were you know older uh, you know th- than I how much older are you than my sister? I'll be fifty one in August. I think she. I think oh. she's I want to tell you never tell ladies. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I'll, I'll say this. So, so that means that I think so. You guys are, I think, almost exactly the same age because, oh, okay. yeah, because I, I knew that I remember that your birth because here's also what I remember is that I remember that your birthdays are were are very close to get close, to get, close yeah. together. And I remember yeah. right, I'm like Kelly, by the way, for you know, um, let everyone know her birthday, but that's okay. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to give out the dates or anything, of course. But I'm just saying that I just remember that that as well as just going to offer that as a memory is I remember that both of you had had a birthday just a you know a little bit right before the concert, you know. And the reason why I remember that was because when you came to pick me up, I remember telling you happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. And so that also. So now uh, we're going to hear the rest uh, of my conversation with Grant uh, at the end of the, of the program. Uh, but for now, what I wanted to do was, since we're on the topic of birthdays, here comes something big. So Grant, I know that you're listening. At least I hope that you are. And man, uh, I got you something special this year. Hey, Grant Marsh. Steve Barry, And I want to say happy birthday to you, brother. Another trip around the sun. Ah, so there you go, Grant. How about that? Uh, little birthday message there from the man himself, Mr. Vi. So we hope you had a great birthday, and we hope this makes it even better. So, And we're going to bring you all of our conversation with Steve Vi uh, coming up. You know, I wanted to play a song from Edom and Smile. Uh, and you know what's funny? I, I should, shouldn't be so lazy. I should look up what we played for Greg, when Greg was in. It was probably Shy Boy. I think we played Shy Boy or Elephant Gun because those are um, uh, my, my my two favorite songs. So uh, I think I'm going to play Big Trouble. Um, I love that song so much. And it just captures that whole vibe and that whole, that whole summer, man. That whole thing for me. Uh, during the breakdown and, and when Dave gets earnest and, and the whole thing. Um, and there's that little kind of like talking rap thing at the end. It's one of those things in life where every time you hear it, it can transport you back exactly. Like literally not kind of or oh yeah, I remember this. It's like in that moment, I'm on the bus to Northwood Junior High in Jacksonville, Arkansas and planning my world domination so and i'm almost there so uh anyway so this is big trouble uh from the eat and smile record from 1986 with david lee roth and we'll be right back with steve vi (laughs) 
I'm here with my friend Roy. He is talking all things pieces of me. This is Tiffany here. To always, always tune in to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hi, how are you? Okay, good. <laughs> so, and again, thank you for taking the call today. I, um, I think the last time that you and I saw each other was when I was with Doug Pinnock at NAMM this past January. And we got some pretty good footage, and I and I got your release, and I'm excited to show you a little bit of the film. Um, soon as I can start sharing stuff, we're we're just about close to a trailer, probably sometime in January. So I'm looking forward to being able to to share that with you and a lot of a lot of other people. We had um, we had Greg uh, uh, Bissonette. He's also in in the film, and and the reason why I wanted to have you uh, call in or 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 call you today was I also do, of course, a weekly radio show called Tricky Kid Radio, and we've got this series called My First Concert. Well, ironically, My First Concert was actually the Eat'em and Smile Tour, and so and so we had Greg on the show uh, to talk about that, and so I was like, well, man, now we got to get Steve. Good call. Yeah, <laughs> right? Oh, he gave us the, the absolute, not only just best interview, just not only for the film, but uh, he's got so much energy, and man, we had we had a ball. And he, he obviously, he, he speaks so highly of you, and it was funny, we were going to chat with him at NAMM, uh, but he was so eager and so happy to see you, and, and of course, Billy, and and the whole gang, and, and what, a, what, a, what a fun night that was at NAMM. Yeah. Is there... You know, it's funny. Was it like you know the girl from the uh, from the Yankee Rose video that happened to be there? I, I never got the story of why she was yeah, there. Yeah yeah. Do, girl, right? yeah, yeah. Why was she there? I don't know why she was there, but um, I remember her back in the day. She became kind of like a friend to everybody, you know. Right, right. And Dave might have been seeing her a little bit, but uh, she's great. She was really. Really wonderful. You just came to the studio a few times to hang out, and uh, just a really nice gal. Well, she was so kind to us that night. And again, like I said, I didn't, I didn't know that she was going to be there, or you know, that she, y- y'all had invited her to come there to make it kind of. Mm-hmm. It was just very special and, and kind of uh, unexpected, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing awesome that's going to mean so much to him, Steve. Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate yeah. that. That is so awesome. And, and again, the work that you're doing for, through the Autism Network is, uh, you know, again, we're trying to kind of spread that word too. So again, I, I thank you for that. Um, you've got a lot of stuff coming up. Uh, I know that you have this new line of amps uh, through Synergy coming out. What, what's up with that? Uh, well, um, are we on the air right now? Uh, well, no, this is we're, we're recording it, but it'll be edited, so. Okay, yeah, no problem. So, uh, yeah, because I'm, I, I, I'm walking and talking, and I don't want to sound, I don't want to have it sound like I'm walking and talking. <laughs> no problem, I appreciate that. So, I just need a few minutes. So, when does this air? Uh, this will air next Thursday. <laughs> you there? I am. Okay, great. Uh, 
Good. And thank you again, Steve, for this. I really, really appreciate yeah, it. You, you got it. No problem. So, yeah, the synergy. Well, you know, I've always kind of kept my radar out on new developments and technology and the music uh, sector. And in my early years, I spent precious little time focusing on amplifiers. Having a really great amp just seemed so far out of my reach, you know? Right, right. I never thought I'd be able to, you know, uh, afford it. So I just kind of developed my tone with my fingers and stuff, you know? Yeah. But then eventually when I moved out to California and I started working for Zap, I had a lot, I had access to better sounding, cooler amplifiers. And the first people I got involved was with Carvin way back. And they've always been really supportive. And through the years I've used various amplifiers, but at one point I kind of jumped on board with Carvin and we had a long really nice long career together and uh, <clears throat> they developed the legacy amplifier which was a signature amp of mine and it gave me an opportunity to really fine-tune the sound that I was looking for so it wasn't until I got with Carvin that um, I found the tone that was really appropriate and suited to my ears and my fingers and I, got, I just couldn't use anything else really I mean sure I used all sorts of different amps and but, you know, those conventional kinds of amps like Marshalls and Fenders. Right. Uh, you know, I use, I use them, but uh, to make it your main tone, Yeah. Uh, it, you know, that's one of the disadvantages that I was up against and all guitarists are up against, basically, is when you have one amp, you know, usually, conventionally using one amplifier. <laughs> right, right. You know, and then you can have all sorts of effects on that one amp, but it's really hard to change the, the integral sound of how an amp is built, you know, so yeah. you can put all the effects on it. And I'm not a really a fan of uh, modeling because the modeling always sounds, you know, it always sounds a little small to me. You know, it's when you get on stage and you're you're pounding with, uh, you know, loud bass and, and drums, especially me with Jeremy Colson, our drummer. He's, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right, a beast. Just, you, know, <laughs> you better you better be ready when you're standing in front of him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know. And, and, you know, another guitar player and uh, all of these things fill up the frequency range on the stage. And whenever I've tried modeling, it just never seemed to cut, you know? Yeah. And, and it's got the kiss of death in it also, which is latency. So um, well, then I discovered this company because, you know, Carbon kind of winded down quite a bit. For sure. And there's this company called Boutique Audio, and what they do is they actually build many, many, many of the hand-built kind of amplifiers, uh, cottage industry amplifiers that some of these great artisans, uh, craftsmen, amp builders make, such as Friedman and uh, Engel and uh, Soldano. So many amplifiers are actually built by Boutique Audio, and then they ship them and this stuff. So then... The guy at Boutique Audio uh, came up with, the, he bought the technology, I, I think, from Randall, who had this concept to create these uh, modules, modules oh, wow. that you can actually use. Now, a little bit of uh, understanding of the infrastructure of a guitar amplifier, it's basically two parts. It's the preamp section and then the amplifier section. And the preamp section is the section that has all of the sound, all the tone, it's the, the, the section that has the EQ and, uh, you know, a, a, the, the actual uh, quality of the tone. Right. 
And this is a, every amplifier has that stage. And then that, from there, it gets fed into an actual amplifier, power amp, that's usually within the amp, that takes that line level preamp signal and actually just amplifies it. So tone quality is in the power amp, but not nearly as much as the preamp section. Right. So the quality of your tone is based on the construction of the preamp section. And what these guys did, Avi is his name, at the Boutique Audio, they started uh, licensing the actual schematics and technology for the preamp sections of all of these classic and vintage and also contemporary artisan-type amplifiers. And they create these uh, preamp modules and they're tubes, there's nothing modeling in it. Right. And they, they're just uh, fantastic because they're like uh, one rack space and they take up half a rack space. So you can put two of these things in one rack space. Oh, wow. And you, you actually have, it's two amplifiers. Yeah. You know, and they each have two channels. So I've got three racks with six amps, which gives me 12 channels. This stuff. Holy and cow. Each, yeah, each amp is, you know, when, you, when I click it in, I mean, I have like the Vox. Uh, uh, 30, it sounds like a box, and I've checked it with my box, you know, and yeah. also the basement that they have, and I have a deluxe, and I've got a plexi, I've got um, uh, all sorts of uh, the preamps, that they, I got every one of them, actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I can put those in there. It's, it's like an opening, you know, it's like freedom, because now... All, uh, I have access to many different amplifiers all in one system. And that, to me, is a, an incredible breakthrough. Well, I, that's, a revel that's a revelation. I think so. That's why I'm talking so much about it in the press, because I want other guitar players to uh, experience the splendor. <laughs> <laughs> right. To revel yeah, in the so glory you, of this. Yeah, you know, but, you know, all of these uh, preamps that they had were spectacular, but still... I, I, there was nothing like my legacy. Well, yeah, for sure. You know? One of the nice things about this system is it has a loop, so you can put an actual another amplifier in the loop, and then it'll switch to it on your, uh, you know, pedal board. Oh my but, goodness! Uh, yeah, it's really great. So that's what I was using, kind of, so that I could still have my legacy sound. But then uh, I was approached to develop a signature series module, the Vi module for the uh, Synergy system. That, that's the name of the system, okay. Synergy. Okay. And I went to work with the designers, and, you know, I'm always looking to evolve. I've been through various, like, CMs with Carvin. So it felt like it was time to kind of take it to the next step. So I worked with them and created uh, a module that's a preamp section uh, for an amplifier that uh, has my kind of thumbprint on it, so to speak, or fingerprint. Got, the, got, that, got that Steve I kind of funk thing going, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's got the Steve I smooth, compressed, distortion, legato thing going. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, we were talking about, of course, I'm doing the King's X movie, and, you know, one big thing here that I... Um, you know they're currently in the studio right now, actually doing their first record in over over a decade. And and one of the one of the big things is that Ty Tabor has gone back to um, the the kind of the sound that kind of put him on the map back in the day. With he used he uses a um, a thing called a Lab Series, 
and and you know and people haven't seen those lab series in forever and so i i i'm, I'm eager to to tell him uh and for him to also to hear this and to share this con- this information and this conversation with him because i know that he was also looking for a way to kind of you know uh, kind of consolidate uh kind of it, while evolving and it, this kind of sounds like this might be a solution for him you know yeah tell him to check out synergy i will he for can, sure his, you know he can he can put his hand in the loop and and have access to all these other ends. And so that, that's kind of ideal because that way he can you know he can evolve while still kind of re- retaining his own sound, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That is absolutely awesome. I uh, and, you know his sound, his sound, it was so powerful, you know. Yeah. On, on those records, and I mean it's very visceral, you know. And he, when he gets going, it's, it's really splendid, and. Uh, but, you know, like any other guitar player, his, the, the majority of his tone is in his fingers. Yeah. You know I mean? oh, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, when, he, when he touches that instrument, he approaches it a particular way. And, you know, that's, that's really the, the, the gist of the tone. Well, he also has brought back like his old Moss Wright and a bunch of these other like you know stuff he's kind of gotten away from over the years. That he's like this isn't necessarily a throwback, but just kind of a kind of reintroducing something that he's he hasn't really touched upon in a while. And and I'm very excited for you to hear the record as a whole. It is it is one of the best things they have done in in many many years. It kind of has that. You know, like when the Beatles did Abbey Road and it was like, you know, they knew it was going to be like their last record and it was just like, let's just make one last great thing. That's what yeah. that, that's what this feels like. I mean, it's 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 got that 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 it's very inspired. Everybody is just really working hard on, on making each little part great. And, uh, and it's 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 going to be it's going to be awesome, man. They're all three singing again and all that. So it's, oh, it's going to be so great. It's going to be awesome. Really forward to that. And the movie that we're making is going to be something I'm 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 very proud of too. That uh, it's going to be very different. It's it's going to be not necessarily a King's X movie, whereas it's a movie about the individual three guys that happen to play in this band. You know, I mean, it'll it it will appeal to obviously the King's X fans and all that, but it'll it really tells the story about each of them and uh, as well as collectively. You know, what was what was the first time that you came across King's X? Well, uh, it was back in the eighties. Um, what do you remember the year that, for, that, that their first record came uh, out? Eighty-eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was at a time when things were kind of, uh, you know, I was a part of that earlier eighties movement with the whole rock star kind of thing. Right. A lot of the music we were doing was more um, accessible, kind of pop rock, you know. And uh, it was rare to see a band come along that actually had a different kind of a musical mystique, you know? Yeah. And as soon as I heard them, first of all, I I love three-piece kinds of bands. Oh, yeah. Really, that make it work. Yeah. And, you know, because it's difficult to create, you know, uh, sonic fullness sometimes. You have to be smart with your arranging. Oh, yeah. And the band just, there was such an energy that came out of the, speakers you know yeah. there was a um a musical message in a sense it was like a a facelift at the time of musicality because they're all very talented oh yeah and i mean doug pinnock is a giant you know what i mean his, yeah. his voice one of my favorite voices in 
presence and they're they they found that what I was hearing was they found a beautiful balance between there's there's an aggression there but it's 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 sort of uh, there's almost spiritual overtones to it oh yeah for sure to, you know it's like the, the way that they fashioned their vocals and the way that they stacked them and the way they moved through the you know through the songs there's it's very, you can hear when people are doing something and they're angry yeah you know it, it, it you can feel it and I I you know I can I can appreciate that but what I really like is when all of that energy is there but the message is benign you know and it, it just lifts you up it lifts you up so and there what didn't feel like any pretension in their music at all you know it really yeah. felt like musicians exploring and they came upon something and they presented it in such a powerful way you know and, and fantastic yeah, and totally original. I mean, I mean, sure, it might borrow a little bit from their their influences. Obviously, with Doug, with you know Sly and the Family Stone, and and you know, but you, they're they're a hard band to nail down, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. They're kind of like Queen. Yeah. You can't nail them down. There's nothing. There's nothing quite like them. And, and but still, there's kind of something for everybody there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Greg told us a great story about how during I I, I can't imagine what. Um, I would imagine it was probably. I'm thinking maybe you might have still been in the band, um, but he. I guess you guys were in Germany somewhere, and King's X was opening for ACDC. Uh, I think somewhere in Europe. Were you at that show as well with Greg? Did you come to that? Well, I have a good memory, but it's short. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really remember. I might have. But okay. That might have been on another tour he did with Dave after me, but. Uh... Well, he just told a great story. Yeah, you know, he just told a great story about how, like, you know, he had traveled. You know, y'all had had your own show, and he had, um, uh, you know, y'all had traveled like an hour just to see the band. And by the time they got there, like King's X was like on their last, <laughs> like on their last song uh, and all that. So, uh, um, so my again, my very very first concert, uh, I was uh, the, at the whopping age of twelve years old. I spent the first thirteen years of my life in Little Rock, Arkansas. And uh, and I saw uh, the Eatem and Smile tour in uh, in September of '86 of that year at the Barton Coliseum there, uh, and you know like anything else, it's like one of those transformative things. I mean, you know, your first concert kind of tends to stick with you, and and you know, and especially when you've got four of you know the best ever to do it. Um, you know, that, that might have been lost on me at the time because I was a young guy and, and just was, was a big Van Halen fan and was just excited to be able to just uh, go to a concert, you know. I wanted to I wanted to ask you, like, when you think about that tour and you think about that time, just kind of in a knee-jerk sense, you know, like, what do you, what do you think about? Like, what, what what is your biggest takeaway from that time in your life? What a great experience it was to be a rock star in the 80s. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it was uh, a, a very special kind of a time because, uh, you know, we were gregarious, we were really colorful, we did crazy things with our clothes. We had these incredible stages, you know. I mean, I think uh, the, the Eat and Smile stage was in the Guinness Book of World's Record for having the most lighting fixtures. <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome. And, it was it was a kind of a shock because 
I was coming from more of a muso background, right? Napa, but I had I had rock in my blood. You know, I always wanted to be a performer. I love performing. You know, like yeah. running around and I mean, the ham is cooking. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you, that was a really. Sorry? You were the first guy I ever saw do the guitar sling, you know, what goes all the way around your body. No, I wasn't. I, I saw Ingrid Mountain. No, I'm saying you were. <laughs> I'm saying you were the first person I ever saw do it. Oh, you saw okay. <laughs> and to me, to me, you were Houdini with that man. I, that blue, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know. Yeah, that was fun. You could get away. We could get away with all that stuff back then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that it was. It was a, kind of a shock, you know, because. Um, I remember the first show was in Huntsville, Alabama, and we pulled up to the hotel, and the hotel was completely, uh, you know, jammed with people, lines and lines of people just waiting to watch us walk into the hotel. You know? Wow! And that that was that was like my first, you know, the plane landed. I, I was out of the cocoon of the rehearsals in the studio. Right, right. And that night at the concert was a shocker because we stepped out on the stage. It was the first time I was in front of, you know, twenty-five thousand people whatever and it's one part of the show where they kind of like stands in the front of the stage and just holds the microphone out and people scream yeah for like 10 minutes <laughs> yes and the screams were so loud they, they were louder than than my amps <laughs> and, and Billy Sheen and I just looked at each other like it, it was almost scary yeah you know it was like almost frightening because it was so loud and so like um sort of like gang mentality or something. Yeah. And uh, it, it was really wild. And then that whole rest of the night with the party that took place and when we got back to the hotel, the party at the hotel and, and what goes on actually backstage, <laughs> it was a, it was a, a stunner. <laughs> and uh, so that's what I think about, how nice it was to be able to have an uh, opportunity to be a part of that whole thing when it was at its peak. Yeah. I knew instinctively that it was, you know, it, it, it was it was going to pass, and that uh, you know the kind of music that was relatively unique to me had to come out eventually. For sure, for sure. But but like you said, though, you were able to, you know, experience just all of that and all of its perks and fun to go along with it at its peak. Um, and like any good, it's po- really fun when you look at it from a sober kind of a perspective. What I mean by that is, you know, as you're going through it, that it's kind of like wallpaper, you know, because you can get sucked into that lifestyle too, of partying and sex and the money, and and the one thing I mean, I never really uh, made an identity for myself over those things, but the one thing that did uh, sneak in the back door was just the uh, adulation, you know what I mean? Right. Sure. You know, that has a tendency to, that can mess with your head, because if every place you go, everybody's telling you how great you are, and people act differently Yeah, yeah. than, than, nor, than you would normally expect, so you can start believing that uh, you're this person that they are making you out to be in their mind, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then you're in trouble, you know, so I kind of took all that with a grain of salt, and it made it easy to navigate well, you know, other you- things. Well, you've always been kind of, you know, from from my perspective, um, you've always kind of been like a cool customer, like you know, somebody that kind of seemed to, to kind of come out of that, you know, pretty level headed, you know, kind of unscarred in a sense. Whereas, you know, by comparison, we've seen 
the alternative to that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and I, uh, I, I reveled in it, but I knew it was, uh, you know, a momentary kind of a thing. And then when it happened, it happened again with White State, very different, but still there was all that uh, kind of... Um, how long? How long were you with White Snake? How what? How long were you with White Snake? How many years? Uh, probably about two years. I mean, I did the record and the tour. Okay. And that, uh, maybe less than, or you know, around that. So did you, how did that compare though? I mean, after you had left with, with Dave and then you had kind of gone on to, to, to White Snake, it's kind of the same crowd, uh, but it's, was, how was the experience for you by comparison? Well, the crowd could be similar, but the, the, the experience is dictated by the people you're surrounded with. For sure. When you go out on tour. And touring is a very, you know, there's no secrets at sea. You know, it's, it's, it's very open. And it, I was fortunate because all the guys in the Dave Roth band were really great. They're like brothers, you know. And same thing with Whitesnake, you know. We, we were very close. If anything, I you know, the, the difference was with Dave, I was kind of controlled more, you know, by, by Dave in a sense, but all, all for good cause, you know. Right. Um, you know, he kind of, Get my ego in check too, and when I left that and went to White Snake, everybody was just so nice and so accommodating. Uh, it, it was it was a little different of a of a vibe that way. But um, with White Snake, some of the uh, obvious differences was uh, there was two guitar players, it was me and Adrian Vandenberg, so that had its its nice kind of balance. I was able to work with another guitar player. And uh, the Dave Roth band was a traveling party, you know? Yeah. The, the parties, the, every night, I can't even, I mean, I could write a book and I've been offered, but I would never. I can't even, uh, I look back at it and I think, it was like professional wrestling, you know? Like, <laughs> watch professional wrestling, everybody seems to be really serious, but they know in the back of their mind, it's really all just fun and games. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that, and that's, that's what it was like, uh, exaggerated. But then with White Snake, it was, okay, the show's over, I'll be in my bunk reading my book. <laughs> <laughs> so, quite different. Yeah, quite different. <laughs> but you, I know you guys tried to uh, to kind of put it uh, back together to kind of celebrate the kind of the 30th anniversary of Eat em and Smile. And I know that Doug was even backstage um, at the like the lucky bowling alley thing, and, and it was like a big surprise. But of course, the police came and and and, and shut the whole thing down. Uh, what do you re- what do you remember about that night? Oh, that was fantastic. They had Lucky Strike Bowling Alley in uh, Hollywood has these jam nights, and it started to turn to quite a thing. All sorts of people were going down there and just jamming, you know. Right. So I had dinner. I was having dinner with Billy and Greg, and. Um, they were telling me they were going to go down and play, and it was also the 30th anniversary of Eden Smile, and they asked me if I wanted to kind of come down and play a couple of songs from the record. Uh, and I thought, yeah, sure, and they had a singer lined up, uh, this guy Ralph uh, from... Uh, Still Panther? Um, yeah, and he was he, he, he's fantastic. Oh, yeah. He, he, does Dave, he does Dave Roth really well. <laughs> 
And uh, then I, we thought, well, why not just reach out to Dave to see if he'd be interested? And, and, and I did, and he was. He was really uh, excited about the idea. And uh, we didn't announce that he was going to be there. Nobody knew. Only, only us, you know. And Dave came over to my house, and we reviewed the songs, and then, you know, we drove there, and we got there. And when we got there, because they had announced that the Eden and Smile band was going to be there to play, but oh. they didn't, you know, with, with another singer. Right. And even that created these lines I, that went all the way around the building. You know? And um, as a result, you know, Dave and I got out of the car, and then, then the, you know, the proverbial crap at the fan, so to speak. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the venue held, it only holds like 350 people, and they, they stuffed 1,700 people in there. Oh, my God. And I go, and we were just, and there's like a, a curtain to the stage, you know, the, the curtain opens, and there you are. So I'm standing there, and I'm ready to kick off the first chord to uh, Yankee Rose, you know? Right, right. And the curtain's closed, and I'm, we're all psyched, uh, psyched up, and, and Dave was still in the back. He wasn't going to come out until we started playing. And some guy comes up to me and says, wait, Steve, you can't play. The, the fire marshal said that there's too many people, and, and you know, they're going to, you can't, you can't play. And I, and I was like, I don't care. I'm playing. Uh, I'm going. Here we go. Ready? He goes, no, 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 don't, don't, because you're going to be fined. And I said, okay, I'll pay the fine. I don't care. You know. <laughs> and, and he goes, really? And I said, yeah, I'll pay the fine. Uh, what is it? Like maybe you know, five grand or something. I mean, it's a lot, but not. I was just uh, jazzed and ready to go. Yeah. And he goes, okay, wait here. And he go, he, co- he goes away and he comes back and he goes, no, you can't even pay the fine if you play. You're going to be, you can be thrown in jail, and the place can close and, and never be reopened. Oh my God! I actually, I actually stopped, and, and my hand was just about to hit the cord, and I'm like, uh, God, "All right, let me see now. Wait a minute. Oh. Okay, I can, I can deal with that. I can deal with going to jail. Right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but compromising the venue. That was the that was the the deal breaker. The brick wall. I couldn't get through that, so I said, Ugh, and I turned around and walked away. Oh! And, and I went and I told Dave. I said, you know what? We, this is actually not going to happen because not only was the fire marshal there, but they had fire trucks and they had people coming in with like you know fire gear on and stuff and evacuating the place. And oh. Dave's like, Dave and his Infinite, infinite creative wisdom said, perfect. That means that it'll be bigger than if we played. And he was right, because the next day, the amount of press we got from not playing because the place was shut down because there was too many people was more than if we were to play. Because they, they, they put it on the news. Oh, yeah. It was on television. It was on the cover of newspapers. And they, you know, the press ran with it. And that's much cooler than watching some watered-down, crappy-sounding iPhone videos of us. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> on YouTube, you know? Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so then uh, we actually, right at that moment, we considered leaving that venue and going right over to the Viper room. And just doing the doing the songs there, and uh, but they were they, you know they had a band performing, and then it, it would be too intrusive and all that. So we thought, well, one day maybe we'll do it again. And we almost did it again at the Nam show, but and Dave wanted to do it, but uh, he was in New York. 
Well, so that was my next question because, of course, again, you know, you guys were my first concert, bro. I've been waiting for this for 30 years, man. You know, like, yeah. I mean, think yeah, about too. think about you, you know, your first concert. If you could, you know, have that in your life again for one night and, and people still able to do it at the top of their game. And so I... Uh, well, that one would have to come out of retirement. <laughs> right, right, right. And, I, and you know, and even though, even though Bonzo is gone, you know, maybe, maybe we'll see that, that yeah. again one day. But... Uh, I told Doug as because we were there. I had my whole film crew there. We were there to you know to be with Doug and to make the movie. But I told him. I said, "Listen." I said, "I go eat him and smile." Was my life in my first concert? And I said, "When these guys go on, I was like, I am not Roy Turner, the director of movie. I'm 12 years old again. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go watch this." Well, you know, I, I was just so happy to see you and to see Greg and to see Billy. I mean, because, you know, I know it, it was a David Lee Roth thing, but, you know, you guys weren't the faceless. Uh, it, it wasn't David Lee Roth and three guys from California that you never heard of. I mean, you, I, all four of you guys, to me, were, were the unit that really fueled, um, you know, that whole experience for me. For and, and to this day still, when I think about that and... Like I, I was at some flea market recently, and I found like some old Edom and Smile like calendar, you know, and I and I, I and I had to buy it, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, uh, I do that with anything Tom Waits. Uh, why? Okay, cool, cool. So, so you have a version of that, right? So, you know, uh, yeah, I got a couple of artists. <laughs> so you know, so for me, it was like you know, like like I I, I have to own this. This is such a big part yeah. of of who I am, and and what came later for me and all that it was just such a such a uh, an inspiration that never left me and I and that's why it's so such a great full circle thing for me to be able to chat with you about it today so I'm, I'm grateful to you for it uh, oh, thank you that's nice I, I see that uh, you don't you don't realize these things till way later when people are coming up to you and saying you know I saw that Crossroads movie and it was the reason I started playing guitar yeah and yeah. It was 35 years ago, whatever, and I'm, I'm like, wow. <laughs> you don't really realize the impact that you have sometimes. I mean, it's, it's really nice. Or, you know, people people that didn't even discover it until, you know, let's say five years ago. You know, like mm-hmm. you'll you'll see a growth of that. Like some people just for whatever reason saw the movie and were like, I got to find out who this Steve I guy is. And then maybe he'll meet you uh, down the road and he's so jazzed about it because he just saw it for the first time, you know? So, um, you know, I wonder, one more thing I was going to tell you, one thing that's kind of neat was that um, we have kind of a bit of a, also another mutual acquaintance. You, you did a contest. I'm trying to think. It was uh, some years ago. I think it was through Guitar Center or something. You did a contest, and the winner was our good friend uh, Neil Swanson, who was a great guitar player. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think you guys might have did a little something together. Do you remember anything about this at all a few years ago? Sorry. No <laughs> worries. No worries. You know, I, I played with so many people. Yeah. It's, you know, which which reminds me uh, of my Jamathon where I got the opportunity to, to play with Doug again. I, Mama Drama Jamathon. Doug came up and did a couple of Pink Floyd songs and some other ones, Day of the Eagle, and it was fantastic. He still talks about that, and you are one of his favorite people to jam with, man. Like, he really enjoys playing with you. 
Yeah, he's, he's, he's just great. His tone, his presence, his ears. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, and just a fun guy to be around, you know? Yeah, fun guy to be around, for sure. So, uh, last but not least, uh, are there any other projects we can plug for you that's coming up? Well, um, I'm going to Asia with Generation X in November. Oh, okay. Um, right now, I'm working on tweaking these uh, compositional scores that I'm going to have recorded in uh, Europe in uh, June 2020. And because uh, I'm a composer too, and I write some pretty obtuse classical music, so to speak. Oh, nice. And, yeah, and I've had, I have about three hours of orchestral music that I've, I've had performed in the past, but uh, never really satisfied with the performances or the recordings. So I'm going into the studio for a month in Europe with uh, the host at Mark Radio Orchestra. Oh, and, great. Yeah, and the Metropole in Holland. So I'll probably get a lot of material out of that, but as soon as I finish tweaking the scores, I'm, I'm going to be working on a new record that will then... I'll be touring on, and I plan on doing a completely comprehensive maniac tour again. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> and and so, is there any concrete or any plans at all to try to put the Edom and Small thing together in, in, in any time in the near future? No, there's, there's nothing concrete. You know, um, so you know that kind of thing. Uh, we, we dabble with the idea. Uh, you know, whether it happens or not, I don't know. You gotta just let the stars align for something like that. Yeah, and and it almost did. You were you were your hand was on the button, my friend. God, I I would have done anything to have been there, man. That would have been it. So I I really hope it does happen someday. And um, I know that you're a big supporter of uh, of little friends, and we've uh, here at the show we do a lot of autism. Uh, uh, charity work and support, and we wanted to thank you for for being such a, a big supporter of Little Friends. No, no, that was a really great event, and that organization has so many wonderful people attached to it. Uh, absolutely awesome, Steve. Thank you so much, man. Very generous yeah, of you. Uh, this has been such a blast, and again, I can't wait to to share more of the King's X movie with you. Uh, and I'll see you on down the road, man. You got it. Thank you. Take care, brother. You too, brother. Cheers, man. Thank you, Steve. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Once again, want to thank Steve Vai for joining us. What a great guy. Just a brilliant, brilliant performer. A great dude. Uh, you know, and just for me, you know, to have the chance to chat with him about my first concert that he was at like 33 years later you know, in between, you know, with the guy who took me. I mean, this is uh, so special for me, and I'm so grateful, uh, you know, to Steve and to Grant uh, uh, for being here this week. And we're going to hear more from Grant. Uh, like I said, we're going to, uh, we had, uh, we uh, had part two of, of, that, of that conversation uh, coming up next. Podcast and like you said, the, the 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 act of kindness and keeping your word and the impact that it can have is it, is this feeling again of innocence is that and this is not some sort of like revisionist nostalgic trip but it's like when i think about that time and you know it was just a you know it was one summer it was one tour it was one thing but it was a lifetime do you know what i mean like me riding on the bus 
listening to Edom and Smile like every day. And I had, you know, the buttons and 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 it's funny when I look at these these tour dates of how it's just so funny how just the very next night, or actually actually two nights later, I can't imagine why they would have a day off um in Little Rock, but uh the very next night, or the 29th of August, they went to Norman, Oklahoma, of all places. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, if you, and if you look at the tour, the reason why I mention that is because, sure, they're hitting big places. You know, obviously they're doing Chicago and New York and L.A., but David Lee Roth kind of had this blue-collar working class, and that was who his fans were. So when you look at the tour dates... It's sure it's Chicago, LA, and New York, but it's also Little Rock, Norman, like La Crosse, Wisconsin, Carbondale, Illinois, you know, Ames, Iowa. And those were the people that bought records, and those were the people that watched MTV. And and so when I think about that time and the innocence of that time, I I, I could not exaggerate the joy uh, that it brings me. And it and it's the package of that is what carried it so far that, that helped me kind of made the decision to like you know what I'm saying? Like, like that night and that time just never left me but that night is what was the exclamation mark do you know what I mean of of the, the, the of the paragraph you mentioned you mentioned a little while ago you mentioned Neil Peart and I know that your first concert was actually rush so what year did you see rush for your first was it the Moving Pictures tour? Yeah, Moving Pictures. That was my first tour. Okay, good. I mean, what these, you know, threesome can put together, I mean, they're, I mean, that's, they're amazing. Ridiculous, they're right? Amazing. Exactly. And now, when, when did you ever go on to see Rush again? Right. Awesome, man. Yeah. You know, I haven't been there, but but I think there's one in North Little Rock called the All Tell Arena, and the reason why I, yeah, the reason why I know, yeah, because I haven't been back. Uh, the only that's what's funny to me. Maybe you you don't know this. I I'd like to now that I'm you know I'm I'm a dad and and uh, about to be a husband. I'd like to show them where I grew up, and and it's not that I don't have any. Um, 
uh, I always have nostalgia for it. I don't know why I haven't been back, but um, the only time I've ever have been back is when in 1999, because we moved here uh, to Texas in in 87, about it's a year after the concert, and then uh, I didn't go back until. December of 99, some friends and I uh, took a crazy trip to New York City, and we drove there uh, for the big millennial celebration, and we and it was a, the weirdest thing in the world because I was already asleep, like in the back of the, the van or wherever we were traveling in, and I was dreaming for some reason about Little Rock and my time there, and, okay. and then when we, when and I was asleep... And then when we stopped for gas, you know, like, like we were on a road trip and, you know, suddenly the car stops moving and you kind of wake up and think, oh, now I can stretch my legs and go to the bathroom. We had, yeah. we had the car and the driver had, had, did not know to stop here. It wasn't like he stopped here for me because I had all these great memories. He just happened to stop here. And when I woke up, I was across the street from the old Southwest City Mall. At the uh, oh yeah, at the gas station there on the corner of I guess that I guess I guess that would be Gar Springs I guess right and uh, and it was the craziest feeling Grant because like I said I was had been dreaming about it like in my dream and I woke up and I was there and there for the yeah. first time in thirteen years you know yeah yeah by the way the South City uh, Mall they closed that down and that's now like a like state trooper like headquarters. Thing or something like that. It's so lame. It's so like it's depressed. It's weird. It's not a thriving area. Everything's moved like West Little Rock. It's it's kind of sad a little bit. That like, is sad. Closed on their house. The, the house I grew up in. You know, I helped them. Um, you know, by the grace of God, uh, I helped them sell the house that they and they closed on it yesterday. Oh wow! Uh, Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, the wire came in this morning. I'm looking at the. You know, I'm here at the office. So the, um, um, so the whole area of Southwest is all kind of like, it's just, it's kind of a sad situation. Anyway, so everything's moving west, and they actually live now in Maumelle, which is in, you know, the sort of North Little Rock area of Maumelle. It's planned development. And um, it's sort of a, it's sad. Like, and where, where you guys used to live in Wakefield. Right, yeah. Is like, lot of crime. It's a bad area. In fact, where, my, where I used to live in Gar Springs, the neighborhood Gar Springs, is like every house in the neighborhood has like, you know, bars on the windows and doors, security systems. You Google it or you look up, you know, it's like stabbings and, you know, people getting robbed every day. God. It's a neighborhood. It used to be like a little 7-Eleven, like, you know, grocery store type thing, you know, quick mart or whatever you call it. And, it says tobacco center on the front of it, but it, everyone knows it's a front for like you know drugs, and it's terrible. It's freaking, and the freaking police there know about it, and no one does anything about it because they're freaking a bunch of losers. It's terrible. That, that it's is crazy. terrible, and you yeah, know, and they're probably getting paid. Who knows? They're right. Well, you know, that's one reason, too, I was going to say was is that I had heard that, and it's also one of the reasons why I haven't, you know, packed up my family and say, hey, y'all want to go to Wakefield today? Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. I had heard, yeah. I'd heard that. I even heard that, 
you know, the house that Nikki was actually born in was the area across from university in the neighborhood called Metacliff, which is like something from like The Wire or something, you know, have you ever seen the TV show The Wire about Baltimore and all that? And and so that's kind of one of the reasons why I haven't, and I'd like to, because I mean, I've got this whole fantasy of this, of going to that house on Wakefield that we lived in where you gave me the ticket and like, you know, innocently knocking on the door and saying, hi, new resident. Um, I lived here as a child 35 years ago. Do you mind if I come in and look at my old room? And they're like, sure, come on in. And instead, it's probably like a crack den now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's not good. So back to, to, to concerts just for a second. I wanted to say this to you was that, so what was the, so what was the last rock hair metal show that you have seen recently or what was the last one that you saw? Oh, it's easy. So, uh, Van Halen came to concert here at the, um, in DC about five years ago. Um, what did you think, what did you think, think of Wolfie, uh, taking, uh, Michael Anthony's place there? Uh, he doesn't even begin to fill his shoes, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so Eddie was, so it's funny, but, so a friend of mine, Kirk Blueball, is a great guy. Uh, Kirk, um, so I sprung for the tickets, and the tickets were like not inexpensive. I mean, we had real, really good seats. Oh, good, good. Uh, you know, in the D.C. area, it's, you know, very much, whatever, so... They're really good seats, and we were, you know, front row, and da da da. So, uh, my friend said, "Hey, man, you know, I'll spring for the limo." And okay, great. So he, he, he so I'm working late as I typically do. So I get home, and the limo's already there. They're there. And I'm like, oh shit! So I run upstairs, change clothes, come downstairs. Like, hey, man. So we go downstairs, and we start with shots, right? And then <laughs> you gotta, you know, give so we do a couple shots, and then we're we drink a little bit on the way there. Not that we're getting crazy, but you know, we're just we're trying to lighten things up a little bit. What, by the time we get there, you know, the guys get up on the stage and they're doing like, you know, checks, you know, sound checks with the instruments and stuff. And, and I'm the other guy, like, I'm like, hey, man, I got this. You know, I want to get up there and like, you know, get the guitar out, you know, and start playing and stuff. And and my wife's like, dude, you're crazy and stuff. And like, Eddie, but we, could, we were probably, when Eddie was up there on the stage, like, cool, the gang opened up for him, which is crazy, right? I thought it was awesome. Like, yeah, I thought it was cool, though. Yeah, it was cool. It was really cool. And they only, and they only had like three, but they did like extended versions of each of the songs. It was like, they probably were out there for maybe 30 minutes. Right, right. Which is okay, which is just, just, just about right. Yeah. Could have been maybe a little less, but it's okay. But so, um, but they were good. Uh, they were entertaining. It was a lot of fun. And so we, when Andy was out there, he was on, look at the stage, he was on the right-hand side, and that's okay, because that's where we were. And so Eddie was about maybe 30 feet from where I was, where we were sitting. I was doing air guitar the entire time. It was so <laughs> amazing. Eddie was even looking at the guitar. It was popping off all his, you know, false harmonics and, you know, double tapping and everything else he does, which was amazing. It was just like, it was an, I was almost in heaven. Not quite in heaven, obviously, but <laughs> so it was just like, uh, it was just so like, just amazing. It was just, it was not, it was just, I, I don't know, I, I, can't, I don't have the words. It was just so, just to be that close to a living legend and 
you know, of course, Dave Lee doesn't kick, doesn't do the loop-de-loops like he used to do back in the day. And his, you know, of course, his voice has changed significantly from what it was when he was much younger. Right. He doesn't have the highs that he once had. And, um, um, and but he's still Dave. I mean, he's... He's still Dave. That's right. He's still Dave. It, it was, and it's still great. You know, I'm so glad that you that you saw uh, that show. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it, it's funny how if you right now David Lee was kind of teasing because people pretty much assumed that that was going to be obviously the very last time, and they haven't done anything in about five years or since then. And but David Lee was teasing. Um, uh, that they might do a couple of big shows instead of doing a tour. Like they were thinking about maybe doing like Yankee Stadium was like a kind of like a like an East Coast kind of big like remember the old Monsters of Rock type kind of thing. And and he was right. talking about doing it with the Foo Fighters uh, and a couple of different bands. So hopefully we'll get a chance to maybe see it again and maybe this time with a full band uh, with Michael Anthony. Uh, I'll have to send you a picture. I, I uh, spoke with Michael Anthony uh, in January uh, at the NAM convention. And of course... Yeah, yeah. And of course, he had to be all you know a bit evasive about it because you know you know with the Van Halen camp, you don't want to um, you know jinx things too much and, and everything else. But yeah. uh, but I had a great conversation with Michael Anthony. He's a lifelong. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Is he, is he more in the Van Hagar camp now or something? Or yeah, well you know, and I, and I don't blame. Him. I mean, I'm somebody who who like am not on the Van Hagar camp at all like i mean i i from what i understand i i've never met him before i understand sammy hagar is like the nicest guy and ever he is a, yeah, he's a great guy yeah totally. right but i i will never forgive him <laughs> for, you know it's one of those things where i just can't be objective it's like how do you go from wow. david lee roth to one of the biggest turnoffs in the history of rock and roll but to, to your point well, but, but, but from his perspective Eddie and Alex, they were asking him to be in the studio, and he had, uh, you know, his wife, they had a little bit of mirror problems, and they were having a baby, and it was just, it was a different time in his life, and at the end of the day, there's nothing more important than family. That's right. The most important thing is your relationship with, with God and, you know, Jesus, but the second most important thing is your family, and they were saying, hey, bud, we need you here about a bomb, and, you know, it's, you know, it put him in a in a tough place, and he, he, he had to make decisions, and no, I, I don't fault him for that. No, no, no I don't either. Music. It wasn't, but there's a special chemistry with David Lee, the voice, the tone, his attitude, and especially back in the day, I mean, they, um, you know, they changed the face of music. Oh, yeah. Just like David Brown did, and, you know, the others before them. I mean, it was, Now, let, let, let me ask you this. So when you guys got in the limo and went and sat front row, like, is going to a limo to a concert like something that you would now normally do, or was that something special for Van Halen? <laughs> um, uh, Right, right. I mean, it's like wow. That's like really. That's that's something 
really special. And if they did it again, uh, I, yeah, I would do it the same way. And, and I would do it with my friends. This friend of mine, he's a great guy, so uh, I won't go into a lot of detail, but he's beautiful wife, beautiful family. Uh, we went to the house um, not too long ago, about a year ago or so. And I don't want to sound like I'm a crazy party person. I'm really not. But we're hanging out. And he said, hey, this friend of mine you know, gave me um, a couple bottles of... Uh, uh, moonshine and it's like uh, it tastes like apple pie I'm like yeah I'd be kidding it's crazy <laughs> it tastes just like apple pie it doesn't taste like any there's no alcohol it doesn't taste like, like liquid apple pie it's crazy and oh my gosh then you drink a little bit of it and oh my god then you start feeling like you can't move your legs it's crazy <laughs> um, it's the coolest dude but he's a great guy in fact I'm going to see him uh, this weekend really good dude but anyway um, yeah I totally yeah well, I wanted to take, take one thing real fast. Was it? Um, I might have had some of that. Uh, I'm not a big partier, not a big drinker at all either. But I might have had some of that uh, apple pie moonshine. Do, do you know who uh, Grace Potter is? She's like a kind of like a blues singer, and they're, they're kind of a big deal, and they've done big tours. Long story short, um, they're a big fan of some bands that I had toured with, and I went to one of their shows. And I was backstage, and they had the whole catering thing. And one of the guys in the band was like, "Hey, man, try that." And I think it was like peach or something. I was like, and it was like in a like in a mason jar, you know, like like what you would expect moonshine to be served in. Right. Uh, so I know I, I know how you feel about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> One memory I was hoping that, uh, and 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 I will instruct or I'll I'll uh, draw your attention to another uh, episode that we have is that we were very fortunate um, about a year and a half ago. Uh, their Van Halen's manager during all of this, literally from '78 up until the David Lee split uh, in '85, is a guy named Noel Monk. And after all these years, Noel finally released his memoirs and released a great book called Running with the Devil. And we had him on for a very special uh, two-part episode. Now, Noel is crazy as cat shit, uh, but uh, very informative. And it was just great to be able to hear all this stuff from like, you know, like a fly on the wall kind of perspective. But how I bring it back to you and I was this. If you, I'm sure you remember this, and, and, and if you don't, I uh, you got to go to YouTube and type this in. But do you remember uh, when Van Halen was still together with David Lee back then, and they had the MTV Lost Weekend contest with Van Halen, and it had that great uh, little like commercial promo for the contest with David Lee, and he would say, "How about a joyride in my limo?" And so when and so when you said that, that was the thing that I thought of, and I remember sitting at the table. Uh, it feels like it was at it was either Wakefield. It feels like it was maybe maybe at Greyback. Remember the old Greyback apartments? But I was sitting at the table, filling out. Golly, like I must have filled out a thousand postcards. To send in, like, my all-consuming goal of life was to win 
that that contest. Looking back on it, would they have let a would they have, you know would, would they have let a ten year old you know go? But it was my all consuming goal. If you after after we're done today, do me a favor. I want you to go to YouTube and just type in Van Halen MTV Lost Weekend, and you'll it'll come up immediately. Not only will you now get to see uh, okay. the the promo, but now there's like footage of like of what 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 went down okay. and the whole bit. Yeah. And I think that the last night when they brought the guy, I think it happened actually in your area. I think it was in like Largo, Maryland, uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, but check that out and, and then send me, and send me a, send me a text after you see it. Um, well, listen, man, wrapping up, I wanted to say one more thing to you again, uh, brother, my eternal gratitude, uh, thank you for giving me that ticket. Thank you for giving me a memory that has, uh, given me a lifetime of joy that I will always have with me, and and what an amazing thing to be able to talk with Greg Bissonette about it. Uh, I, I even spoke to Steve Vai about it. Again, we didn't catch up with you not only uh, about that time, but just about me and you and Little Rock and our families and stuff. And uh, brother, I'd love to have you on again uh, uh, sometime. That's so good, man. God bless you, man. Thank you so much for giving me this time as well. Of course. Absolutely. And we should do it again soon. All my love to you and your family, and I hope to see you Thank soon. Thank you as well. Right, Cheer- Thank you. Thank you, brother. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. What's up? This is the infamous serial wax killer, Beastie Boys DJ Assassin, Mix Master Mike, and you're tuned into my man DJ Tricky Kid. Don't be a clown, don't sleep. Check it out, y'all. All right, once again, thank you so much to Grant Mars. Thanks so much to Steve Vai. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening, and thank you to our sponsors once again this week with Coca-Cola and Netflix uh, and Stranger Things Season 3 that now has been renewed for uh, Season 4, which is great. And and now that we're at the end of summer, never forget that one summer can change everything. Uh, and gosh, seeing David Lee Roth that summer, uh, actually at the beginning of fall, but it was you know right after Labor Day, September, uh, changed everything for me. Um as you heard during the conversation uh, with me and Grant, there it's a bit dated. Some things have have actually have changed uh, since then. Um, number one is we we know that uh, you know Van Halen and David Roth has been in, in the news a lot this week. Uh, with the fact is, is it doesn't look like the Van Halen thing is going to happen with Michael Anthony and or David Lee Roth or or at all. Uh, Dave's been doing a lot of interviews promoting an, an upcoming Vegas residency that's happening in January and March of next year. We will be there for sure. Make sure you get your tickets now. There's links on our website uh, to be a part of that. But basically what he's kind of saying is, is like, well, I got tired of waiting. And it doesn't look like, as he put it, that Ed's going to enter the bell this time, which is, you know, a, a metaphor to speak for a, a fighter being knocked down and not answering the count of 10. We hope that's not the case. That would be to see the, the, the actual, you know, formal end to Van Halen is something that, you know, you never want, want to see happen. So, but regardless, uh, I am glad that Dave has decided to, to still do something. Um, and I look forward to those shows. Another thing uh, that I wanted to, to touch upon was that uh, I asked Grant if he remembered me sending in all those postcards to uh, for the, uh, the Van Halen Lost Weekend contest MTV had. Well, 
what's kind of cool is that now some people have actually have made a movie, like a short about it, that was actually playing in some local film festivals. And I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward. I know some people that have seen it, and I really can't wait uh, wait to see it. Uh, you know, and before I get off that, I don't want to sound critical, but but something I, I do want to say, and this is my format to say it, is let me give you an example of something. I grew up in the MTV generation. I worshipped uh, Martha Quinn. I always said Martha Quinn was like my first girlfriend. She was the the cute uh, VJ with the short hair, and, and she's still kind of doing it in uh, you know on the air. I think she's now based in. Uh, San Francisco was a part of iHeartRadio and, and things like that, and I listen to her show whenever I can. Well, uh, she was obviously has a has a great interest and connection. I think she might have even David, dated David Lee Roth briefly in, back then. Or, anyway, the point I wanted to make was this, and forgive me for sounding critical, but uh, she is a big, big fan or has this connection, uh, at least on Twitter, with author Greg Renoff, who you guys will remember was... Uh, one of our very, very first episodes, and we were actually one of the first people uh, to interview Greg for his great book, Van Halen Rising, which documents just that, the the, the rise of Van Halen before their first album, the, the creation of the band, all this kinds of stuff. But, and I love Greg, and this is nothing against Greg, and I still love Martha, and I love their back and forths, but there's something, there's this kind of this illusion that somehow Greg Renoff is an authority on what's happening in the Van Halen camp right now. He knows what's going on with Van Halen. He knows what's going on with David Lee Roth. And to his credit, he might be also the first one to tell you that he isn't, right? But why does this happen? And again, I'm going to sound like some bitter convergent here, but why does this happen? It's kind of the, the same thing that, at least Greg is honest, but... Uh, but it's kind of something that Eddie Trunk has kind of built an entire career on is that people kind of trust him to think that he's an authority. And let me be clear, Greg Renoff and, for that matter, Eddie Trunk know absolutely nothing about what's going on in the current Van Halen camp or, or the going on. They don't know any more than you do. They don't know any more than I do. They don't know more than, than, than any of us. But yet, Martha Quinn, this in my mind, still like this pillar, this giant uh, who who actually, you know, uh, was there during all that time, is like, hey, uh, you know, what is what is David Lee Rod talking about? And then she's tweeting at Greg, like, Greg, what's going on? Like, like Greg is her pipeline to that camp. Well, if Greg Renoff or even Eddie Trunk is your pipeline to that to that information, then you don't know anything. And anyway, that was just kind of disappointing. And not to mention this, too, was that, you know, at NAMM, I actually spoke to, to Michael Anthony. You know, we've I've had Greg Bissonette and now Steve Vai uh, on the show. I was actually at NAMM for uh, the reunion. and But yet when I, again, this is the part where it's going to sound like I'm just some jealous, bitter person. Uh, but, but yet whenever I was tweeting about this stuff and promoting those episodes and talking about them, I thought Martha would like to know. I mean, she's always talking about it. And guess what? Freaking crickets, man. Okay. So, you know, what's up with that? You know, and again, and like, you know, Eddie Trunk loves it. You know, like, oh my God, if we, if we need to know what's going on, we'll ask Eddie Trunk. Eddie Trunk has, did not have a single member of Van Halen. And Sammy Hagar does not count, okay, on his show about what 
is was going on within Van Halen. As a matter of fact, Greg, again, this is no knock on Greg. I love Greg. You should check out his, our episode with Greg. He's a great guy. Got a great book coming up on Ted Templeman, by the way, the producer of all those great Van Halen records. But he could not get one member of Van Halen uh, to, you know, not, not, not even Sammy Hagar uh, to participate in his project. So what, what exactly makes him... An authority here. Why? And at any time somebody finds their old Van Halen jacket or T-shirt, they take a picture of it. Hey there, everybody! Welcome to this week's edition. Of so again, so what exactly you know makes him an authority? You know, it's like people will dig into their, their closets and they'll find some old Van Halen jacket or poster, and then they'll take a picture of it with their phones tweet it and then tag Greg. Hey Greg, look at this. Hey Greg, look at that. Or hey Eddie. And and then Greg kind of does that to Eddie. And you know, I guess I'm, I of course sound like the guy who's sitting on the bench and wishing I could play with the cool kids. But I just, I wanted to be clear about that was that, you know, these guys are not authorities on this. And I'm not saying that I'm an authority, but but I, I, I they don't know any more than I do. In fact, I actually might know more because I actually spoke to these people. So it all just kind of to show you that all that stuff is kind of bullshit. You know, it's like if you're in the cool club, that's what happens. Martha and Greg and I guess Eddie are in that cool club. And uh, and and if you're not, then no one's paying any attention. And that's why I'm, I'm grateful that shows like this exist uh, so that, you know, we can kind of, you know, <laughs> be on the outside of that. But anyway, I wish all of them well and the best. And again, Martha's given me so much joy uh, over the years that uh, um, all is forgiven. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, you also heard me mention about how, like, how I hadn't been back to Little Rock. And you know what? I hadn't uh, until this past June. Uh, I talked about this on another episode, so I won't go too deep into it. So you should check out those episodes that we, uh, on our honeymoon, uh, went up to the Ozarks and drove through Little Rock on the way back. And it was the first time I'd been there in over 30 years. Uh, and something very, very amazing happened. I went back to the apartment complex, uh, actually not far from where Grant and his family lived, where him and Nikki first met, and uh, was actually able to go inside to the grace of my own uh, tenacity. Um and I have pictures of that on our social media and our website. And uh, so that's been updated as well. Again, uh, thanks so much to our guests. Again, Grant, my brother, thank you. Steve, uh, thank you so much. I uh, want to thank uh, Jason at Vector uh, also for, for pitching in and making all that happen. Again, to our sponsors and to all of you, to our great, great listeners, make sure you subscribe. Uh, go on to uh, iTunes. Uh, we're also now about to be available on Pandora as well as iHeartRadio, which is very, very, very exciting, and as well as the, the Google Play Store. Uh, go on Facebook. We're under that under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. I'm on Instagram as DJ Tricky Kid, and we're very active on Twitter under Tricky Kid and the number two. And we will see you next week.
Two other people. 